Put down the phone and lift up your eyes Open your heart, let conversations arise Show them that you care, keep screen time in check Every moment matters, live your life with Tidy Tech Welcome to Tidy Tech Podcast where we explore how schools and families are finding balance with real time and digital time through conversations with leaders developing better models of appropriate and healthy digital consumption. Melissa here from TechWise SB in Santa Barbara. Gretchen here from Digitally Wise in Kansas City. Let's get started. We are here today with Dr. Richard Freed. Richard is a clinical psychologist and an author based out of California. He has devoted his life thus far to supporting children, teens, and parents and families. His first book is Wired Child and introduced the concept of what it is like to raise children during this digital age. Dr. Freed attended UCSB and Harvard Medical School. He is on several advisory boards, including Families Managing Media, and Fair Play's Children's Screen Time Action Network, as well as a contributor to the Huffington Post. Anything else you want to add, Richard, to our bio introduction of yourself? Um, no, just my, I mean, website kind of, my current website keeps me or people up to date kind of about my current work. It's just richardfreed.com. Perfect. Thank you. And one thing we noticed is that you went to UCSB. So you and I have some connection here to the Santa Barbara area because that's where I, and this is Melissa speaking, am at. So do you have a favorite UCSB or Santa Barbara area memory that you can share with us today? Um, I've got a couple of older daughters and this past summer we went down to Santa Barbara. They, they really like it there. Um, we did an Airbnb in Summerland and, um, that was like my better life. That was really amazing. And I, I'm surprised we ever left. And they like going to longboards and eating peanuts and throwing the shells on the, on the ground. <laughs> I actually went to Santa Barbara twice. I originally studied business and mm -hmm. I'm a retired CPA because I only did that for a really little bit. And then I, I had a midlife crisis at about 23 and realized <laughs> I needed to go back and to school. So I had to go back there and get a little bit of psychology before I did like my graduate programs. And I worked at a, a restaurant in Montecito back in the day in the eighties and all the nineties, like the celebrities all used to come up from LA. So I try to tell my kids or all the, my, the kids that I work with in my practice, all the eighties and nineties celebrities that I waited on, but they don't really care. <laughs> oh, but I do Richard, and you're going to have to fill me in after this podcast. Okay. <laughs> So during that time that you were at UCSB was maybe more so the second time you attended some courses at UCSB. Was there anything that specifically piqued your interest in the devotion to children you have? Or was there anything that set the stage if you reflect on your life for your interest and awareness on the topic of screens and kids? That's really interesting. I think I was, my interest was really broad, you know, that midlife crisis that I had, I was at 23, I was like, what is the purpose of life? And, mm -hmm. and I really couldn't figure it out. And I said, well, all I'd like to do is try to help other people find their purpose in life. And that's all I could mm -hmm. come up with. And it was sort of like a broad feeling. And I didn't get, I mean, the psychology courses and so forth that I took at Santa Barbara were amazing and resonated with me and specific interest kids and screens until I started my clinical practice. And then that topic or that issue found me because that parents are bringing their kids in with depression. You know, I, I think one of the first, this is early 2000s and sadly girls about nine or 10 now are engaging in self-injury, but back then it didn't happen. So, it was in the early 2000s and this really young girl was engaging in self-injury and I'm like, what is up? And then she started telling me about how she was living her life on MySpace, if we, that's mm -hmm. how old this is, um, mm -hmm. at the expense of her family. And her family thought this was told this was the cool place for young people to live and do all this stuff. And she had completely disengaged from her family and uh, of course got depressed and started cutting on herself. So. 
that was like incidents like that made me realize that this is what mm -hmm. I need to focus on. Clearly you've been following this for a really long time. Yes. And yeah. It's like, uh, and then it's just ramped up. I mean, to think about MySpace now is just a joke compared to, mm -hmm. and every, you know, all these researchers that study this stuff will say like, oh, well, we've capped the number of hours that a kid can actually spend on a screen. We're all done with this. There's absolutely no more time left in childhood. Nope. It, it goes up every every mm -hmm. year. The typical teen now spends eight hours, 39 minutes with an entertainment screen every single day. Back in my day, like people used to say like, oh my gosh, five hours is crazy. Well, now there it's eight hours and 39 minutes. And then it pushes into sleep and mm -hmm. school and every other area. So it, it's exponentially increased. It's just, and, and, it, and obviously the effects that we're now recognizing like depression and um, mm -hmm. hurting kids' academics are just more and more profound every day. That is just amazing that you've been in this, like deep in this with personal clients and also your own research and your own practice for that long. And so I feel like you're probably one of the so-called original voices in this technology age on this topic. And that's, you know, you really are one of our experts. So it's amazing to have you here with us today, Richard. Thank you. It's been an interesting journey. Like, you know, <laughs> like, um, you know, you, you study this stuff and people will kind of roll their eyes or you even have family members going, are you sure? And then things happen and they're like, you know, maybe you were right about some of this stuff. Mm -hmm. So my main focus for since at least 2017 or 18 has been this thing called persuasive design, mm -hmm. which is a fancy word for the hidden psychology embedded within video games, social media, online videos that sucks kids in and keeps them there. And mm -hmm. they, you know, it, it makes these products essentially addictive and, and act like a drug. So that's uh, been a lot my focus and just to kind of, oh, my kids, like, you know, I study this stuff, I was trying to talk with them. And then my kids see this film called uh, The Social Dilemma, which I really recommend strongly for families yes. to see. And my kids saw that and they're like, dad, you know what? The, I'm like, I've been trying to tell you this forever. They see a movie for an, like 80 minutes and they're like, it's life changing. But they, don't, they never heard their dad. So it's just hilarious. <laughs> That's funny. That is funny. Um, we did want to point out one other connection we noticed uh, that we have with you. And so Gretchen here is a local voice on the National Wait Until Eight organization. And we noticed you're also affiliated with the Wait Until Eight as part of the advisory board. Yes, and before I became a local voice in 2018, I reached out about an event I was organizing consisting of physicians and law enforcement expert to ask you some questions, Richard, related to this topic. I learned you had a connection to where I live here in Kansas City. I believe you grew up in Prairie Village. I did. My family moved to uh, Kansas so my dad could go to grad school. And then so we lived in Lawrence and then we moved to Prairie Village. And then you were just right next door in Overland Park. So, yeah, those those were great times for me. And I, you know, I try to think about the things that toughened me up, like being a Boy Scout and going out and it being nine degrees below zero at nine o'clock at night on our coldest camp out. And a lot of kids got frostbite, but like, holy cow. So oh, I think that. <laughs> um, uh, but the, uh, otherwise, though, and I, I honestly miss the big weather. Like, like we, we get clouds in California now, but we don't get real clouds. We Kansas just had does. big weather here last night. <laughs> we uh -oh. had a tornado warning and had to go to the basement. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, we had a basement, and I, you know, it's funny. I just sort of, I, I, I talk about because this whole generation of boys is really struggling right now. Like, if you yeah. have, a, if you're the parent of a, of a boy. You should be really concerned because if you if we all just decided to pack up and go visit a random college in the United States, only forty percent of the students there, the student body, would be male. Like boys aren't really going to college, and the trajectory is getting worse. It's talking; they're talking about it's going to be two to one female to male college degrees soon. So I, you know, this whole generation of boys is a lot like ending up in their parents. And I would say basement. Uh, playing video games, but then in California, we don't really have basements. So then I have to say a back room. 
So it's kind of mm -hmm. funny. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've, I've also heard those same statistics and, you know, I've, I've wondered a lot about the extrinsic versus intrinsic rewards that's used in some of the gamification in schools and yeah and i do want to say about wait until eight that is the right that, that, that you know when we're trying to figure out how to make this better wait until eight is the right way to go every parent kind of is, is saying they've been isolated by a lot of fancy silicon valley pr and they've been told that this is what your kids are going to get and parents don't feel like they don't have any consent like did I, uh, and you, you're, you're just, you, you feel compelled. Every parent will say, I don't want to get my kid this, but every other kid has that. So I can't have my kid, let's say in middle school, be the one girl that walks up to an entire group of girls who's got their head down and a phone. And she's the only one that wants to talk or engage and they all won't look up and she feels left out. I'm, I can do that because I'm old, but when I was a a, a preteen or a teen, I, I couldn't stand up for myself like that. We need to get together as parents and wait until eight. And schools in general need to, you know, the fancy private schools where kids go are like middle schools. They're more than twice as likely to not allow kids to have phones at all during the day. Right. right. Um, yeah. We need to, to move in the direction of wait until eight and what private schools are doing for all kids. And that's our responsibility. Not only will do we know that that helps kids like pushing back the age and dealing with phones in school? Of course, kids are going to learn better. That's a slam dunk. There's solid research that says that. But, you know, we now know that kids living who spend more time on social media are more depressed, suicidal, engage in self-injury. What in God's name are we doing sending kids to school where they are spending more time doing that? That's no place for us. Like we have a generate like schools are are now having to like ramp up their whole counseling programs because kids are, you know, they're having to, in California, you call it a 5150. They're 5150 kids out of elementary school where you psychiatrically hospitalize kids because they're cutting and talking about suicidality in, in amazing numbers or horrible numbers with their, in counseling offices. What are we doing giving kids phones that we know cause this problem in school? Mm -hmm. You know, um, I, a few years ago, I served on my school district's digital learning task force in hopes to encourage more intentional and transformational use of iPads in elementary school after witnessing non-academic use and seeing young kids toting them in the hallways to those specials classes, as they are called, you know, those ones that are less frequent but equally important for physical and sensory activities like art music and PE. What would you like to share with us about traditional schooling versus students doing school on their own screen? We've really been duped as a whole culture about, oh, that kids need to be on screens. I encourage families, firstly, you can kind of go look at the, you know, you're not going to see it, but there's, there's, uh, objective research that like there's this OECD study that was done yes. a few years back that said objectively we went all around the world schools that use less technology have kids that that do much better you know all the schools mm -hmm. in Asia that kick the crap out of um, American schools as far as like academic success those kids are are not spending they're spending very little time on technology and instead doing crazy things like reading and doing math mm -hmm. So I, you know, and how do colleges like uh, actually, um, you know, if you want to send your kid to college, well, firstly, they look at, they look at two things, essentially. They look at your kid's grades in English, history, math, the ability to read and write. And they look at standardized test scores that do the same. They don't look at how much time your kid sat, sat on an iPad. Um, so that's just crazy. So I, I suggest parents look to that, but then also, it's, there's a remarkable hypocrisy happening because if you look at where, if you look at the highest rated schools in the United States, take a look at where Mark Zuckerberg went to school. Take a look at Phillips Exeter in um, New Hampshire. I, I can't afford to send my kids there because it's $60,000 a year uh, mm -hmm. for boarding and about 48 for day school. But 
Um, their primary teaching method is this is called the Harkness method, where 12 students sit around a wooden table and talk with each other and one teacher, with mm. mostly without screens. Mm -hmm. That is teaching like a future generation of, of actual learners that can speak up mm -hmm. and uh, think for themselves and have self-control and know how to actually engage and look at somebody in the eye. That's, mm -hmm. that's, that is, that's science-based schooling, not only with respect to uh, academic performance, but emotional support. Like if we actually look at science, the two most important things that make young people, um, and this is preteens and teens, like happy, healthy, not cut, not be depressed, not be suicidal. Mm -hmm. And we've completely lost this in American culture today. But number one is, should be their connection to family, right. not social media it has, mm -hmm. you know, and social media will drag kids away from family as we all know. So mm -hmm. they're, their number one connection should be with family and their number two connection should be with school. And that includes the institution of school and the educators there. So mm -hmm. when kids get to be in a small classroom environment, connecting with Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so or Dr. or this so-and-so, they get to feel that emotional support that kids in front of a screen are being deprived of. And so that mm -hmm. is tragic. It is a lot of this is breaking down uh, um, in a, you know, I'm, I've known, like the two things that I study a lot are persuasive design that all the fancy stuff that hooks kids and addicts kids on stuff. And the mm -hmm. other thing I study is that this is really breaking down socioeconomically, that the very affluent, oftentimes white kids are the ones that are going to schools that are human-based, where they we know that they're going to learn better. And, and it's really kids in lower income and kids of color who are being put before, increasingly before screens at school. <laughs> yeah. On that topic of now that we're on it, the screens in schools. So I'm part of a group right now that's making a lot of efforts to advocate for changes in our local school district here in Santa Barbara. So what advice do you have for those of us who are actively advocating for change related to technology, related to screens in schools. You know, how? what's your advice? How do we get our foot in the front door? How do we keep the conversation going? How do we keep advocating for what you're saying, for better connection with adults, with teachers, and not necessarily with a screen? It's, it's really hard as parents are being denied consent you know, um, did we, like, did parents sign up to have kids be put before screens in school, uh, you know, 10 years ago increasingly? No. Like, it, what's really sad is there's a, a, so many of the administrators and, and at very high levels are people that are responsible for, you know, they're making decisions about putting stuff before, before screens, and they're being oftentimes sold a very fancy um you know, um, PR package that, oh, all this stuff is going to be great and it's going to cost less and it's just going to serve your students well. Meanwhile, again, kids at uh, uh, Phillips Exeter, where I said where um, uh, Mark Zuckerberg went, or there's Lakeside School where Bill Gates mm -hmm. attended and um, all his kids attended and his kids uh, went to Stanford, Stanford and University of Chicago and Duke. And those kids went to Lakeside School where uh, Bill talks about how important relationships were mm -hmm. in, in motivating him and inspiring him to learn and what happened to his three kids. I think we need to, those are all folks at these private schools who are actually looking at research and they know what's helpful for kids. They're less likely to be sold on it. I think where you can find you know, I love the fact that you're coming together with other parents because there's so many, I think so many parents feel that way and you're just being denied consent. I think instead it's time to say we need to consent with the education that our kids are being provided and not have this decision be taken out of our hands and we see what's happening with education today. Uh, you can also look to real objective sources, look for people who are not getting a check from industry uh, there's Fair Play, which used to be the campaign for a commercial free childhood, but it's been renamed as and uh, as is Fair Play, and they have the Children's Screen Time Action Network, and in that they have a screens in school. I think it's called a kit. 
uh, they have objective information that you can t use and say like they have some of that stuff that I'm talking about that says mm -hmm. that actually talks about the science and says, you know, you as a parent, we're, we're going to um, use this real information and we would like to hold schools to be accountable. Uh, not only academically, but I think we really can go in there and say, um, you know, I'm sorry, my, my second book's not done, but you will see that the second most important connection to kids with respect to their emotional well-being, that we know kids are falling apart and having a generation of kids, especially girls who are cutting at younger and younger ages and being depressed and uh, suicidal, like they need a, a really strong connection with a teacher. And being, as we saw with respect to COVID and pandemic, when you put screens in front of kids, they run amok yeah. mm -hmm. and they fall apart mm -hmm. uh, emotionally, behaviorally, academically. Um, what a grand experiment of tragedy mm -hmm. that that's been. So if, if that's not real, like yeah. uh, again, yeah. oftentimes it just look to what, you know, Bill and Melinda were able to provide their kids and, well, you, you know, Melissa and I, we're on different parts of the country and we've experienced um, similar things in, in our public school districts. And um, her kids are younger um, than mine. So our one-to-one -one digital learning program started when my kids were in kindergarten. And I totally hear what you're saying about the whole consent thing because I remember thinking, "What? I didn't. I didn't know this was going to happen. This is not what I want." Um, and I, you know, didn't think too much about it at that time because I thought teachers don't have time for this. This isn't not helpful for the developmental um, milestones that need to be met for this first year of school. Um, and then I saw more. Um, things as my kids, you know, got into second grade that concerned me and I organized parents. But one of the things I was going to say to what you were saying, Richard, is that um, I think one thing that can be very helpful just right off, like you said, fair play, Melissa and I have found to be mm -hmm. extremely helpful. Um, but also write a letter before the school year starts. Mm -hmm to your teachers and to your principal, outlining what your expectations are with devices. Because what I found was I wasn't told anything. So it helps to just kind of set the boundaries and set the stage yourself. I, I I love that. I think, and, and as you know, yeah. if you can have parents come together, and there are so many voices that um, are not being heard and that feel the same way. You know, when I go talk at, at schools, like every, it's it's just like the just it's just like a fountain of parents saying, "Yes, how did this happen? Why why is this happening?" Mm -hmm. there, there's a whole lot of parents, especially now as we see what's happened again, with respect to the pandemic and COVID and my kids. And we a, a lot of kids essentially lost a year uh, mm -hmm. of, of schooling, sitting before screens because they get distracted. And they. what motivates kids is um, a real human connection. And kids are losing that when they're in the back of the classroom staring at a screen. And mm -hmm. um, yes, I love you, you guys working together and then being proactive and starting at the beginning of, of the year with, by reaching out. So Richard, how, how do you, or how would you suggest others talk to someone um, you don't know about tech, especially if you don't know where they stand? I mean, they might be quick to feel judged or threatened. They might be quick to be defensive. Others might respond to the topic by debating about it. So what do you do, or how do you suggest handling that pushback or bringing up the topic? Um, I, I think I've kind of said this, but I, I, I encourage, does it not seem a little bit weird that people like Steve Jobs wouldn't let kids near an iPad? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, as some, uh, uh, as some people have said, don't, don't get high on your own supply. Like, um, <laughs> like, you know, 
Nick Bilton calls up Steve Jobs and says, like, how are you kids liking the new iPad? And he goes, our, our kids haven't, you know, our, we don't let our kids use that. We mm-hmm. do family dinners and, you know, and they sent all their kids to, they, I think three, three of the kids that, that Steve Jobs raised went to Stanford. Again, it's just really, I, I encourage families to maybe start, or, or maybe start broaching the discussion that like, are you not being sold a bill of goods that the people who are actually at the very top of this stuff are not letting their kids do this. They're sending their kids to human focused schools that support them and that here your kid is being given this. And then I also encourage like, I mean, the end game for some of this stuff is really disturbing. Like um, uh, Bill Gates uh, and and uh, the, the Gates Foundation, but mostly Zuckerberg has put together Summit Learning. And that is a, the end game for this is to push teachers to the side. Do teachers really want to go? There? Like you get, there's going to be less need for teachers. You don't pay a facilitator the same what you do a quality teacher. Like we're talking about getting rid of teachers. Like that, the Summit Learning Program is screen focused and, and kids have protested that. They walk out on it and it's being tried a lot in front of less advantaged. It's, it's being, they're being experimented on. Again, I would really try to look at that and, and try to talk with families and, and perhaps send them to, um, uh, as you said, Families Managing Media, which is now, I think, kind of screen strong. Um, these fact-based organizations, Fair, fair Play, um, Wait Until Late, they're, I've, I've, we've got to come together and coalesce. Otherwise, like this, it's, it's just, you know, you think we have it now like the the end goal with respect to i mean this is going to get crazier with respect to to the the, the metaverse um, and the intention to have um silicon valley little literally control childhood from all all the time like it's 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 the end result is really disturbing I, f- I feel a good firsthand example I've seen and, and used and shared with people is that um, my son had an app on his school device and he was really excited to show me how he was using it. Well, he was really just, I give the example, I just tap, 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 tap. <laughs> he was just tapping away at this game. And I asked a friend about it, who's a technologist, and she said, oh, well, it's an MIT coding app. And I said, right, but it's being used in the most rudimentary way. There's no coding being learned on it. He's just tapping at at a game that somebody else created. And so the point is that you can give a kid an iPad. That doesn't mean they're going to learn to code on it. Doesn't mean they're going to learn technology. You have to have an educator to teach a lesson and to assign a lesson and to work with them. And then you can see a kid learning to code. Exactly. It, yeah. I mean, what you're describing mm-hmm. is the difference because what these apps and technologies do is they use um, extrinsic motivation. They use, they gamify learning. They give you little carrots and stars and this and that if you get your stuff done. Um, that contrasts with intrinsic motivation. Uh, I like uh, my teachers, I want to try hard. Um, I want to uh, someday become a pilot, so I need to study. I want to someday go to college. This is like all those intrinsic motivations and and that's it's much harder to get kids to do uh than just to gamify stuff but we know that extrinsic motivation all that gamification the research is really negative about that stuff over time if you're Mm -hmm. rewarding an activity like that constant rewards it's telling you that the activity must stink and that you really don't like it so it's really scary we want intrinsic motivation that and, and that is away from the gamification of iPads and so forth. Right, right. And mm-hmm. and parents and teachers, they curate things. They they teach, you know, like giving giving a kid a device that is just filled with things is a not is not that. 
exactly. Um, yeah, I'm, uh, um, you know, for me personally, it took, I'm too old for them to really know what ADHD is, but like I, uh, have a lot of that and had a lot of that and it, you know, school was not like the be all and end all when I was little, it, it took me a while to kind of find my way. And I think that happens, you know, that happened in a classroom environment where I go, well, let me try this and see if I can compete with the smarter kids in the class. Let me, okay, let's see what happens if I put some effort in, in, into that. Oh, that actually feels good. Like that is, that was intrinsic motivation at work versus I'm just going to do this to get like a little blinky blinky score at the end of mm -hmm. something. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't, I, I work in a school and I, I can't imagine uh, what, life will look like 10 or 20 years down the road if we don't make changes, if we don't get back to that intrinsic motivation and we don't change our focus with kids, remove screen time, remove that relationship with screens and put more distance with it. I just can't even fathom, you know, what our society will look like and what communication will look like if we don't make changes now. I think it's going to end up like Summit Learning. There's um, a pretty disturbing... Like I think it was in 2018 or 19 where a lot of kids, uh, kids of color and lower income at a Brooklyn school were provided the summit learning program and walked out on it and said, we want to be provided the education that the essentially rich, affluent white kids are getting. Like human focused, real teachers, we don't want to be put in front of a screen. Like that's really disturbing when the kids themselves have to speak out. Like that shows how sick yes. things are getting. Yes. Yeah, it's it's an interesting uh, idea. So in our in our district and in a lot of districts, the idea of the one to one iPads or having iPads with every family or with every student, there is a connection there to to equal access and and tech equity. And so one of the challenges we've faced is convincing the school district and convincing all the people involved that giving an iPad and just giving kids access, this isn't addressing disproportionality. This isn't addressing equity. Um, we, you know, there's, there's a lot more at play than just giving everyone the device because what happens in the home and what happens with each family is, is, is different and unique. And you see those differences even more. Um, and that's kind of speaking to what you said earlier with what you see with some of the more white affluent families and what they're capable of giving to their kids and how they can monitor things. There's differences. I, I work with a less advantaged population in my mm -hmm. clinical practice. And to see what happened in distance learning with kids that had essentially constant access to technology, like hundreds of parents telling me um, that their kids spent their lives on YouTube and uh, Fortnite. And, I mean, and just talk to any kid in, in class. Yeah, mm -hmm. the, especially the boys... They completely disappeared. They weren't engaged. Um, that's what that's what really happens with devices. Like, let's be honest mm -hmm. with ourselves. Um, right. And then again, take a look at go search up Lakeside School and what they promise. They promise, like, if for the equity, they promise uh, all kids are going to get a small classroom environment with an engaged teacher who's going to motivate them and inspire them. Like, mm -hmm. holy cow! That's what that's what that means. That's what real um, mm -hmm. educational equality. Don't be sold on the fact of giving a kid a device is that's a lie. Right. I mean, you could give it to a kid a device with just a few really, you know, transformational educational things on it. You don't have to give a kid a device with a bunch of apps and YouTube and, you know, it, it can, it can be curated. I mean, we, we can do this. <laughs> I, I would love for, I, you know, it's so hard for families. They are asking for things like, because um, when they see the back of a laptop, they have, they essentially your kid, when you see the back of a laptop, let's be honest with ourselves. Your kid is not studying. They have three windows open um, and none of which are, you know, the, when, as soon as you walk around the other side, you will see some amazing spreadsheet that they just click right. and pop up. But let's be honest. And because it's not, and it's not kids fault. Persuasive design essentially makes these technologies like a drug for kids. They can't keep their hands off of them. It's not, 
their mm -hmm. fault. It's not parents' fault or educators' fault. It is the, the fact that these technologies are designed to consume kids' lives. So they can't keep their hands off of them. If you, instead, if you have your kid sitting before a workbook or a quality worksheet, you know exactly what they're doing and they know what they're doing. It is a remarkable thing. Like I, a lot of families are asking for their kids who fell apart during COVID or otherwise, can my kid just have a, uh, you know, a paper-based, and we know paper-based books uh, teach kids to read better, uh, mm. uh, um, teach kids to read firstly and teach kids to read better and they have better Absolutely. comprehension. Like, let's be honest with ourselves. Let's stop being sold if you really want kids to learn, and I think that's what's going to happen at schools are going to, um, what we're going to see is the schools that have a real human-based low screen tech environment, like those are going to be in demand because parents are going to realize, oh, my kid actually got a much better education and was able to go to college. I was going to say too that um, I don't even call this the device, I don't even call it technology. I call it digital media because I like to call a spade a spade and, you know, um, a toaster is technology, a microwave is technology, but we don't call them by those things. We call them what they are. And so the things our kids are using on a device is, is, is digital media. So There's Richard, a really good book called Screen Strong, um, Matt Miles and Joe Clement, and they start off their book and they were saying, and they appropriate um, uh, it's screen schooled. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, and they, they start off their book, uh, with a really great concept and, and phrase. And, and it's just like, name the top 10 things that you think kids need today. And, uh, I think maybe they say name the top hundred and then do they say is more screens, any, any end of that? Like, no, what in God's name no. are we doing giving kids more screens, like a generation of kids who struggle, like is the rates of obesity are going through the roof. Like really we need to give kids more sedentary behavior and like mm -hmm. deny them. My kids, if you give kids devices, they start talking like the kids in my practice. I don't really like to go outside at all. Mm -hmm. I'm more mm -hmm. of a video games type person. Like that is a scary yeah. and, yeah. and you know, the rates of uh, diabetes and, and just the profound medical consequences for what mm -hmm. this is doing. So uh, that's a, a great resource. Yes, I um, I follow um, Children and Screens. Um, it's an organization that is, consists of leading experts in the medical field um, that get together and talk about the impacts. And uh, you know, the the research you're pointing to is correct. Correct. Yeah, I've been, had the uh, uh, honor of uh, talking there and with that group a couple of times. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, that, that's a, that's a research-based, um, organization and that's what we actually need. We need, I, so much of what parents are hearing is, is mm -hmm. fancy pants PR. Mm -hmm. I encourage them to look behind the scenes, pull back the curtain and actually look at the truth of what is their kids are being provided. And yes, um, because there are organizations out there that, um, that talk about online safety and talk about these things as though they're the experts. But I have looked at the, when you look at the board of directors of an organization mm -hmm. and you see that the members of the board are working for some of the big media companies, mm -hmm. um, some of them lobbyists, um, you know that you're not, you know, you're not hearing from physicians, you're hearing from people mm -hmm. that profit. I like to yeah. assure parents that they have what it takes to raise a healthy, happy child, regardless of the persuasive and attention-getting digital media and evolving technologies that seem to pop up everywhere. I like how you address this right from the start in Chapter 1 of Wired Child. As a child and adolescent psychologist, what encouraging words do you have for parents and or teachers who feel digital media might be interfering or undermining their ability to parent or educate. So much of our culture has been about denying parents' consent, as I said, but also just sort of disempowering mm -hmm. parents. Like, you know, don't believe your own eyes. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, don't, 
sure, it looks like kids are distracted by these devices and failing in school, but oh, but they're, you know, where you're told that it's really helping them. No, believe your own eyes. Like the, the, the research is profoundly clear. You know, a lot of, like I, I work with a lot of Latino families in my clinical practice. And I'm like, your culture has it right. Family should be number one. When your kids are 13, 14, 15, like family should be number one. And then also like the hardworking Latino ethic of like, here we go. Like those guys make me look bad. Just like how hard they're working, like, like old school stuff. That is, that is thousands of years of, of, of a culture that knows what's right for kids versus now we're just, you're being told to be disempowered and yeah. that really families mm -hmm. aren't that important. And don't worry if your kid's disappearing with a screen and, you know, don't worry mm -hmm. that no educate educators, family should be number one. Educators should be number two in kids' lives and know that you're right and know that what you're seeing is, as kids move towards screens is, is wrong. And that it's your, it's our job. It's our response. You're firstly, you're right, but I believe it's our responsibility to stand up. Mm -hmm. Our group has been advocating for this idea of we're all stewards of technology. And so all of us, whether you're a doctor, or whether you're an educator, whether you're a parent, we all have to be a steward of technology. And we can't just expect a child to do it or a teenager to do it. But we all need to come together and partner to do it. And it's a community effort. And that's been one of our um, approaches and trying to gain momentum beyond just one smaller group of people. And so far, it, it does seem like that we are gaining momentum and it does seem encouraging when you have different groups of people partnering together. Um, but that idea of, you know, we are stewards of technology and we can't just, you know, forget the family, forget the parents and let the kid do their own thing. Yeah, understand on the other side of that screen, there is... Um... Mm -hmm. Uh, take a look again at uh, the the movie The Social Dilemma. There is a mm -hmm. an uh, an entire army of psychologists and neuroscientists who are working to persuasive design is a technology of control. You, you know, you're, the industry is going to tell you, oh, you're not just turn your kids loose. What you're doing with that is you're handing kids off to their brain scientists who are working to manipulate and change your child's behavior. Tech the tech top tech execs all understand this and they are doing all they can to be mindful about how they introduce technology to kids. So really understand persuasive design, which exists either in at home-based technologies or school. It's always trying to control your ki kids and take over their lives. And it's our job to instead insist that we as parents and educators are the ones that are guiding kids. Yes, I believe um, the persuasive design came out came out of Stanford. Um, B.J. Fogg, is that right? That's correct. Um, He's the one who invented the science. He's not my mm -hmm. biggest fan because I called. I it, it, that I was the first person to write a first major media article about how persuasive design was is, uh. is hurting kids. I wrote that in 2018. Uh, the tech industry's war on kids. I think it's got a, a, a lot of people have taken a look at that, but I, that's really kind of uh, where I first really described what is happening with respect to what the tech industry is doing to kids and mm -hmm. how it's, and it's really sad how the tech industry and psychology are coming together mm -hmm. to really join forces to hurt kids. And it drives mm -hmm. me bananas. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so solutions, um, I'm, I'm sure we probably could all um, share some some good things, some good tips um, of how families can, you know, one is educating and talking and discussing these things with our kids, watching films like you discussed, the documentary Social Dilemma. Um, you know, grandparents, too, could can be helpful in um, understanding that things are different than they were before <laughs> in our time when we were kids. Um, and, you know, avoiding buying some of these things that they're not really familiar with. Um, I know when a parent receives these things, it can feel like a tech bomb has been dropped in your house with so much to manage with, Mm -hmm. phones and TVs and um, 
you know, streaming services and, and everything. So, you know, keeping things simple, creating boundaries, having discussions. There's, there's a lot of, a lot of different um, advice and, and help that we have. But the main thing too is supporting parents, like just saying, you've got this, you can do this. You're empowered. You are the parent. If you don't want your kids to have this, you can say no. I, I, yes, please. Like what I, what I, what I see is totally sad in the kids of color that I work with, oftentimes immigrant families. Um, you know, they're being told in American culture, this is what you do. You just hand these devices over to kids and then it, it destroys their connection with their culture. I don't, grandma's boring. Uh, I don't want to hear about right. the old country. I don't want to uh, learn to cook. I'm going to live in my room with my door shut, um, not study school. And that, that's the reality of what happens when, mm -hmm. with respect to grandparents and devices, those devices destroy in my practice, so many kids connections with their family that they actually need. And those, th those kids are the most fragile kids I work with immigrant mm -hmm. kids who've, who've been told and convinced their families that this is what you do in American culture. And they are, mm -hmm denied their really strong, amazing culture that would have helped them and make them feel strong. Yeah, I know my growing up, like I, that was never a feeling that I had. I mean, even, even in my teenage years, I don't remember. I mean, certainly, you know, I had disagreements with my parents and their decisions, but, um, you know, I didn't have anything distracting me and taking me away from communication with them other than the typical, you know, teenage emotion. Yeah. All that, all this mm -hmm. uh, persuasive design exploits, uh, mm -hmm. the teenage, you know, developmentally normal desire mm -hmm. to, to make up your own life and not necessarily have your parents making you pancakes when you're 40 mm -hmm. years old, um, at the house. But the irony in there is, kids go like oh screw you mom and dad i'm gonna live my own life on social media and video games and then they don't do well in school and then they don't leave the home and they are having their parents make them pancakes at 25 right. years of age it's right. it, it's hilarious or not it's tragically sad yeah. like yeah. you were sold this was your it's false right. freedom it's it's but we're actually just going to control you and it's so yeah. i see kids who are testing in the top one percentile and could have gone to any college whatsoever in the United States and who are so smart that they're, they know that they've been trapped by persuasive design. They know what it, they, it is, but they can't get out of it. And they just say, I'm stuck on games. Um, and I can't find my way. And boy, is that sad to see. That is. It sure is. Wow. I have heard from some of our local uh, college level counselors or college level um professors that they have seen a huge increase in, in just kids dropping out, kids being so addicted to gaming that the otherwise great student just can't even attend classes. The draw of the entertainment and the draw, it's, I mean, it's basically the addiction is outweighing anything else that, that they can even fathom happening in life. Um, and so that, you know, it, it's, uh, it's just so sad. It's, it's happening with the little kids. It's happening with the elementary and high school kids. And then it's, you know, it's trickling up to the college kids as well. Yeah. Um, I recently testified uh, in California legislature, let's not make social media addictive. And that bill went through the, um, passed the assembly and it's on its way to the Senate, the state Senate. So let's hope it uh, moves forward. And, and that's great. So much of this is, is about, yeah. And you can see stuff like that on my website, again, richardfreed.com. But it's just, um, you know, persuasive design tells us why we lose our kids. It, it, BJ Fogg's formula is really about digitally providing kids a remarkable amount of digital rewards for essentially as little effort as possible. And that exploits our Stone Age brains, which were set up during a time of adversity. If you could find as much food as possible for as little work as possible because your brain takes a lot of oxygen and blood and that was the right way to go. Nowadays, when we have food in the fridge and uh, you can just sit there in your back room and be on a, a game all day, that formula of giving kids a ton of 
rewards for essentially very little effort and then triggering them all the time with pings and notifications is what is, mm -hmm. in my mind, destroying a lot of childhood and our kids' chances mm -hmm. at a healthy, happy life. Yeah, absolutely. So, which is why we're so grateful that you're doing what you're doing and that you're speaking with us today and that there's there's people like you out there, there's people like us out there that are trying to make a difference and, and being willing to say, like, stop, this isn't okay. We need our kids to be kids. We need them to have their childhood back. Kids need to be bored. Kids need to be away from screens. It's okay. So thank you. Thank you for being a voice in this endeavor. Well, thank you to Tidy Tech and all that you're doing. And I love, this is exactly what needs to happen of having parents, educators come together because trust me, that's, you're being denied consent. If you all get together, you'll realize that like, we all actually think the same way. Let's all work together. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much, um, Richard, for your time today. Are there any last minute takeaways you want to leave us with? Where any last minute tidy tech takeaway for the day? I love your organization and it brings a smile to my heart that you guys are talking from two of uh, my favorite places, Santa Barbara and uh, Kansas. So those are just like had magical fun memories of childhood and my earlier years. So that's amazing. Thank you. Thank you guys. And I love the work that you're doing. Thank you, Richard. Thank you. Parents. Thank you so much. Caregivers, teachers, administrators, physicians, we thank you for modeling what you want to see in the world and listening to us at Tidy Tech Podcast. We hope we provided some new insight and thought-provoking dialogue, but most of all, we'd like to leave you feeling supported and optimistic in your important work with our most important people of the future. <laughs>